You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Father, thank you for all that's happened this weekend. It's been overwhelming in such a wonderful way. Lord, 19 lives testifying to the only story that could be written by the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's just no answer this world has than what Jesus can give. I pray you would put a cap on the service even now. I pray you would take this time. You will teach and encourage, Lord. You will strengthen. You will convict. You will use this time, Lord, across every heart to allow us to hear from you. We are thankful, I pray, and united, I pray as well, and expectant for, again, what will take place in these moments now as we get to open up specifically your word to speak to our lives. Such an important message, Lord, and may it be received in our hearts and lives now too. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, open your Bibles to uh, Mark chapter 10. And just as you're doing that, just want to highlight super quick uh, this coming Wednesday, our night of worship and prayer. All our church plants getting together. You heard about this already. Hear about it again. We're praying the place will be packed in here. Again, gathering together, worship and music, worship and prayer, all for the Lord. And how exciting that will be as well. Yesterday morning, we also had our men's breakfast. I think 550 men were there. The place was uh, sold out. So great. Uh, Pastor Bill Eliff was with us. His wife Holly's here with us too um, from Arkansas. And they're actually in the service right now. Maybe Bill and Holly, sorry to do this to you. Just stand up just so we can love you a little bit. A Canadian love, they're here with us. We just welcome them and are so thankful for them. Amen. Amen. They had no warning. I'm sorry for that. But... Uh, we love to do that as well. Hey, just to let you know, um, the Lord continues to allow us to come in relationship with those who share our hearts so much and what matters most. And so we are just so thankful to God and um, Pastor Bill and his wife Holly are another example of that by God's grace that strengthens us as leaders and as churches as well to continue to say we're not alone in this. And so what a, what a precious blessing that is and I'm deeply, deeply thankful for God for that. All right. So in light of the time we don't have today, in light of the awesome service that we've had today as well, this is when we have to go right after it. This is one of these messages where the introduction is the fact that there is no introduction. I love that. So that's my introduction. Was it good? And here's our big idea for today. Okay, here's the whole point of today. It's this. Ready? The most significant difficulty in seeking first the kingdom. You might even say, rightly so, based on today's passage, The greatest difficulty in seeking first the kingdom is wealth. The single greatest difficulty or obstacle, you can make a very strong argument out of the text today, in truly seeking first the kingdom is the love of money, the pursuit of wealth, or the deceitfulness of riches. The totality of scripture explains that. Our passage today puts that thought in lights, okay? So if one of the foremost commands in scripture is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then one of the foremost difficulties in Having that command uh, followed from our lives is the pursuit, again, or the deceitfulness of wealth or riches. Um, Mark chapter 10, verse 17. This is, again, we're going to get right into it. Not a lot of time today. Here is the example of what we're talking about right now. Mark 10, 17. Uh, take a look. As he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, A good teacher, what must I do? Notice that word, do, you circle that. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. 
do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, look at this, and Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Here we go. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great wealth or possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. Why? For all things are possible with God. Here we have the story of the rich young man. This appears in three out of four Gospels, indicating us to us its importance by the Holy Spirit that is here for our listening and our observation. I want you to see this, okay? Notice in the preceding context of our passage today, if you look there in Mark 10, verse 14, Jesus says, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. I mean, how precious in this service here. A young child steps in the baptism tank, and that's her time. I mean, how precious is that, okay? That's what Jesus is saying. Let the children come to me, for childlike faith enters the kingdom of God, okay? But then immediately following what we just read, our passage today, and here we see the opposite of childlike faith. Now we see man-centered idolatry in the story of the rich young man. So listen to this, okay? In one passage, Jesus says, here's how you enter the kingdom of God. In the very next passage, essentially Jesus says, here's how you don't enter the kingdom of God. Childlike faith gets in, man-centered idolatry and the worship of this earth guarantees, Jesus will say, that you will not enter the kingdom of God. Fascinating. Getting right to our outline today again because of our time. Number one, we'll see this in our text. We see this, a heart inquires. We see a heart that is inquiring. I'm using the thread of the heart today because it's always about the heart. Notice as we jump into verse 17, okay? I want to point out right away, you see two things happening in this rich young man. Number one, you see a very self-assured man. He is confident, he is competent, and he is very curious. But watch what happens here, and this is so much like our world. You have a very self-confident, self-assured man, but we're going to see you also have a very self-ignorant man. You have a man who does not know the reality of his own heart. On the outside, there's this bustling confidence, but on the inside, there's this kind of terrible, tragic ignorance. It's also very important as we go through this series, okay? Here's what we often know or don't know, okay? We often think we know ourselves, and then we convince ourselves that we know ourselves. But as we convince ourselves we know ourselves, we just have forgotten to see that we've just deceived ourselves. If we think we really know what's in here, and we got all this heart thing figured out, because the Bible says the heart is desperately wicked, who can understand it? So one of the keys through this Seek First the Kingdom series and campaign, loved ones, I'm telling you, you should be, and I should be very suspicious of what? Of your own heart. 
The point of wisdom as we go along, you should always be very suspicious of what lies in here because we ultimately can't see the reality of our own heart before the Lord, which is why we need the Holy Spirit, the Word, the community of faith, which is why we need people who love us enough to tell us the truth of who we are and who we're not. As the psalmist says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and see if there be any grievous way within me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is what this rich young man did not have until he met Jesus, but how would he respond? So in verse 17, notice we have a man who runs up and kneels before Jesus. He doesn't walk, he runs. He kneels. Matthew's gospel confirms he had great wealth. Luke's gospel tells us that he was a ruler. So we have a very affluent and powerfully respected young man. That's a dangerous combination if your heart's not in the right place. In verse 17, he calls Jesus good teacher. Now that's significant because the Jews never called each other good. And based on where this young man ended up, we have to imagine the sincerity of his heart is under question. And so he's probably saying good teacher to Jesus because he's trying to flatter him, hoping that he'll receive some flattering in return. Hey, good teacher, again, good only equated with God. And Jesus might say, oh, nice to see you, excellent one, or whatever it might be. Notice he asked Jesus this. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The word do there reveals the misled heart of this man. Consider this too, okay? He's kneeling beside the Son of God, the perfect Son of God. And he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Here's what we'll find out about this man as we go through. And this is a profound thought. He was asking Jesus, what must I do? Not that Jesus might be his Savior, he was asking Jesus, show me what I can do so I can be my own savior. That's a profound thought. That's a lot of our world today too. They're not looking to Jesus, Jesus, you be my savior. You show me a little bit of religion so I can get the credit, I can get the glory, and I can be the own savior of my own life. Tragedy. And again, the misled heart, this is where they go. Jesus then says to him, why do you call me good? Now, why does Jesus do that? Jesus isn't denying that he's the son of God. He's saying, hey, young man, do you really know what you just said? Do you really believe what you just said? Because if you're going to call me good, that's reserved for God alone. Do you really think that you're talking to the son of God himself? Do you really believe what you just said? And then notice verse 19. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And listen, he says, he says, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. So you have an inquiring heart, and right here, man, in verse 20, you have an ignorant heart. He stands, he stands before Christ, the holy, perfect son of God, without sin, without any blemish of any kind. And he's like, I've done it all. Can you imagine if you had any insight into your own sinful reality? I mean, I'll just take myself for example. On a daily basis, and I am not exaggerating, I am grieved at the reality of the sinful tendencies and the flesh that lies within in, in words, in actions, and again, in thoughts. I mean, you look at what's in, you get a glimpse again of your sinful tendencies and all the, the horrid things that you see, and you're, oh, Jesus, would you return and deal with this once and for all? I cannot stand this anymore. I cannot believe there will be a day that you will return and forever glorify and deal all my sin and shame 
shame and all, again, it'll just be all be gone in imperfection. That, that day's going to come where you don't have to deal with that anymore. Anyone else excited for that day? Anyone else? How awesome. Okay, okay but here's this young man. He's standing before Christ, and he's not aware of himself because he's like, yep, I've done them all. And you step away from that individual. You're just like, I can't imagine getting to the spot where you are there. And, and let alone beside Jesus Christ. And this is your testimony. It shows us, even if he's like, yeah, I haven't defrauded someone. And I'm honoring my father and mother. But he has no awareness of the depravity within. And how much on a daily basis. He is so far from where he needs to be before Lord God Almighty. Amazing how many unbelievers in our day will, at the end, they kind of weighing the good deeds versus the bad deeds, and they hope the good will outweigh the bad, and they'll stand before God and be like, yeah, yeah, I get in because, you know, people down the street are worse than me, and people I know, they're doing, I've been okay, you know, good outweighing the bad, and somehow there'll be scale of good works. That's not in the Bible. What is in the Bible is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What is in the Bible is that we'll never be good enough. Because God rightly demands perfection because God is a perfect God. Not one sin then gets into heaven. Because if God let sin in, he wouldn't be perfect and righteous. So therefore, we have a significant problem. And the answer is Jesus Christ. The answer is that he died for all our sins and he offers us the gift of grace as we receive by faith that we are then cleansed and made new as you heard after testimony after testimony. I get to hear all 19 baptisms this weekend. Wow. Jesus is building his church and the grace of God that is covering souls and so many people. I used to think I could do it. I used to think I was a good enough person. I used to think, but then bam! And I realized I have nothing apart from Jesus Christ. That's what this man in our text desperately needs. Now notice this, okay? He had confidence when he ran up to Jesus. And now Jesus says, do this, this, and this. Now he's filled with more confidence. We're only situated and what Jesus will do now, he will love this man enough to expose him for who he isn't. It takes us to point two, a heart exposed. A heart exposed. Look at verse 21. Okay, this verse right here, wow. Jesus looking at him, loved him, and said to him. Loved ones, just, just, just hear this right now. Jesus loves us enough to tell us what we need to hear and to expose us of the sin that is preventing us from truly approaching him and truly being saved by him. Jesus right here is about to undress this man's heart in one sentence. He's going to expose the reality of his own fault and weakness in one sentence. He says this. He says, because what Jesus knows exactly what we need to hear. And this is what this man needed to hear. You lack one thing, rich young man. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Verse 22, disheartened by the saying, the rich young man went away sorrowful, for he had great wealth or great possessions. This is incredible. The man thought he was full. Jesus knew he was empty. The man thought he was, he was successful. Jesus knew he was bankrupt. So what does Jesus do? Loves him. In one sentence, he exposes his heart, his idolatry, and his number one false god, money. And Jesus loves us enough to expose us that he might heal us. Think about situations in life. Think about the crises that confront us at times, what God uses to expose us. Think of the confrontation we have to go through at times we would never choose for ourselves that God uses to expose sin in our lives. Think of the conflict that we are 
subject to at different times. We would never choose, for, but God does it to expose the Think of the hardship or suffering that in his sovereignty we are allowed to go through that the end of the day God might humble us and test our hearts, as it says in Deuteronomy 8, to show us what's really inside, that he might point us to the path of blessing and power and the glory of his name. Like sometimes the very situations we try to avoid at all costs are the very situations that are most packed with the love of Christ. That's what's happening right here in this passage. The rich man simply loved his money more than he loved God. And that is proven by verse 22. I love the first word in verse 22. It just At least the etymology of the English word disheartened. Think about that. Dis is the prefix I get away from, the opposite of, the negative of disheartened, the opposite of being encouraged and having joy, a heart full of gladness. This man was disheartened as he heard these words. Jesus just hits him exactly where it hurts the most. NIV says his face fell. That's, that's so good too. Um, in the Greek, Disheartened is used elsewhere in the Gospels to describe um, an overcast sky that's anticipating a storm. The man's countenance went gloomy, man. Like Jesus just poked the greatest idol of his life. This is why in 2008 you have the economic crisis and you have executives jumping from buildings in suicide because they have just lost their greatest identity and their greatest single God. And when you take away their greatest small g God, there's nothing else to live for and therefore they take their lives. How tragic is that? And this young man, he's confronted with the same. Jesus offers him the treasure of heaven and to follow Christ, but in the end, ready? You can't serve God and money. It's gotta be one or the other. You love the one, you hate the other. Despise the one, serve the other. The rich man shows earthly treasure over eternal. I mean, what a turning point for this rich young man. What a tragedy. What a reality, though, right? Because, again, look at Matthew 13 here, parable of the soils. Jesus explains it so well, right? As for what was sown among the thorns... This is the one who hears the word, can even hear it with joy, the initial reception of joy to the gospel, but the reality is it's not true because when the cares of the world, and notice, and the, the Bible it just explains everything, and the deceitfulness, the misleading, the lie of riches, choke, they choke the word. They suffocate the fruitfulness of the gospel and therefore, the life proves to be unfruitful as time goes because they have trusted in the world and the lies of money itself and wealth choked out life and they are left with death. That's the rich young man. And that's us if we're not super, super careful. Again, this guy, this young man, he talks such a big game. I've done it all! But then when truly confronted with the heart, he crumbles, you know, just look right here. I don't usually carry cash in my pocket, but think what's happening here. This rich young man, he chose this, this, over eternal life with Jesus Christ. You may say, well, he had a few more of these. Yeah, but how many can you have when you, and the reality is you choose this? What's going to happen to this when Jesus Christ returns? The moment Jesus Christ returns, this is, it's nothing. It ends up being zero value of any eternal. Zero. Zero. How many people, okay, right now, man, how many of us are living for this? 
over Jesus Christ in eternity in heaven. When you look at it for what that is, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It's absolutely stupid to choose a piece of paper ultimately and a desire for power and greed and to neglect eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's happening in our text today. This is what Jesus is pointing out. A heart inquires, a heart exposed. Number three, Jesus now, the heart explained. The heart explained. Verse 23, notice this, okay. And Jesus looked around. Now let me just stop right there. Any good preacher is aware of what's happening with his listeners, okay? So like what I'm preaching, like even today, I'm preaching right now, and you're looking around, and you're aware of those who are yawning, and even some who are sleeping. <laughs> That's nothing new, right? You'll be less likely to sleep, I hope, now, if I, I just said that, right? right? But Jesus here, it says, and he looked around. Why does he look around at his disciples? Because he wants to know, hey, hey, are you paying attention? He's like looking around. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Because what I'm about to say right now, Jesus says, this will change your life. Like this, I'm throwing down eternal principles that will be for disciples. If you don't get this, man, you're going to miss out big. Are you listening? He's looking around. I love that. And he says to them, how difficult will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were amazed. But he says again, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples are exceedingly astonished. They are totally exasperated by this illustration Jesus just used. Why? Well, we got to take it face value what Jesus is saying here. At the end of the day, in verse 27, Jesus is saying this. It is impossible, okay? Not my words, his. It is impossible for someone who trusts in wealth, whose God is riches, to enter the kingdom of God. It is impossible. Now, the disciples were amazed at this because they were taught in the Old Testament the principle of prosperity equaling God's blessing. And they're right. I mean, there's so many stuff in the Old Testament. God says, if you keep my commandments, the rain will fall, your crops will grow, your animals will be healthy, I will bless in abundance. That was a principle from the old, is a sign of God's blessing. In fact, the Jews thought, in this context, that the rich were especially saved. That God's favor was upon them. So the disciples are exceedingly astonished when Jesus brings up the camel and the eye of the needle thing because they, they didn't have a paradigm to, to imagine that wealth could actually be a barrier to God. But see, then Christ comes and the New Testament starts to unfold and we're learning the poor in spirit are the ones who inherit the kingdom of God. It's all about the heart. It's about those who are humble before Christ. It's not that money itself, but if you're trusting in wealth, you're done. Jesus, what he does, he uses this metaphor. He takes the camel, the largest beast in Palestine, and then compares it going through the eye of a needle, the smallest hole in the home. This example is so ludicrous, it's humorous. Like if you're listening to Jesus, some commentators over the time, when they said, well, uh, the eye of a needle is actually a gate in Jerusalem, and the camel would kind of you know, frustratingly kneel down and go through. There was no such gate. In fact, the whole point Jesus says here, it's impossible. So therefore, this is the, it's the extreme example of an actual camel trying to fit through this tiny little, I mean, it's just like, well, that, that'll never happen. She's like, exactly. That's the probability 
of a person who trusts and loves money as their God to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why is Jesus teaching this with such strength? Because wealth and riches create tremendous difficulty to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Well, let's just break down our story today. Here is why wealth can be so difficult. Wealth produces a sense of self-sufficiency. And when you're so soft, this is one of the greatest dangers of the world that we live in. Has there ever been a more prosperous time than right now in this continent? Across the world, I mean, really, for the general population. I remember I was in Peru a few years ago and on a mission trip there with Compassion Canada. I remember walking into these tin houses. And you're sitting there and you're looking around and they have, just have nothing. And it's amazing when you come with the practical need of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you have to offer the food and the shelter and the education and you're loving them with such practical means. It's amazing to me then the openness to the gospel and the receptivity because the love that is expressed and that it comes from the love of Christ. And the way the Lord has used that in so many thousands of lives. Then you come back here to Canada and it's like, well, I don't need anything. Even the way our government has come in to provide the needs originally based with Christian gospel love. And now a person, can they, they have a, a choice between the different places that they need to go. And so why do we need God? If the rest of us can do anything we want any time, basically. The self-sufficiency of wealth can kill our love and appetite for Christ and the gospel. Yeah, value perversity. There's a perverse sense of what actually is valuable in life. Kingdom of heaven versus the kingdom of the earth or self. Uh, earthly de- this, this rich young man was so earthly dependent that he was willing to forsake Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Of course, spiritual apathy, I hate this. The spiritual apathy, our, our obsession with comfort, I feel it too. Our, our, our desire for security, our, our, our idolatry with entertainment. It's all around, it grieves my heart, like just my own heart. And it just creates such a sense of apathy and a, a disinterest in the things of God. God, forgive us. Killing the church. And then, of course, all this blinds us to eternity. We, we forget that we're eternal creatures living. Eternity's coming. We, we forget and we make everything in front of us to be our reality. And that is, again, it just shows us how foolish. And we've fallen prey to the spirit of the age and our own flesh. And in case you think I'm kind of making this stuff up, well, let's go to the verse here from 1 Timothy 6. Notice this. I mean, look at how clear the Bible is on these issues. For those who desire to be rich, desire to be rich. If you desire to be rich, you fall into the temptation and into a snare. Just think of the, uh, look at the picture of a snare snapping down upon someone. Into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. I mean, that sentence alone is astounding. Look at the dangers of, of, of wealth and the, and the difficulty when you, when you long to be rich. Why? Explanation. For the love of money, desire to be rich, is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through the craving of money and to be rich that some have wandered away from the faith. We see that. And have pierced themselves with many pangs. We've seen that too. This is why wealth can be so dangerous and so difficult. That money is to flow through us for the kingdom and not to be absorbed in us, that we might live just a life of self-indulgence. See how Jesus here has explained the heart of the rich young man to his disciples. He's just like, are you listening? Are you listening to this? This is hugely important. This is, this is critical. 
The heart inquires, the heart exposed, the heart explained, and then lastly this, the, the heart now, though, is, is invited. The heart is invited. Look at verse 26. And the disciples were exceedingly astonished at the camel example. And they said to him, Jesus, then who can be saved? I mean, and then Jesus looked at them and he said this. He says, with man it is impossible, but not with God. Why? For all things are possible with God. You know what Jesus is saying there? He's like, listen, if you trust in riches, impossible. If money is your God, that'll never get you into heaven. But if you trust in Jesus Christ and you receive grace, and you believe that Jesus Christ is the eternal, infinite treasure, if you believe that Jesus Christ causes us to be sons and daughters of God and receive the inheritance of Jesus Christ and then become co-heirs with Christ himself, if you believe in the gift of grace received by faith, then you have just entered into the kingdom of God, which man is impossible with man, but God makes possible through his Son. The gospel, the love of God offered to you today again. And that is why, this is the first service I've gone to this. We're going to go to those, those verses here right now. That is why then these awesome songs have been written describing this as well, okay? Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Why? Because you are my inheritance now and always. You and you only, you're first in my heart. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Why? High king of heaven, you're my treasure. You're the treasure of my heart. Here's another one. This comes from when I survey. We're the whole realm of nature mind. See, this is the opposite of the rich young man today. It's the opposite. If I had the whole world that were a present way too small because love so amazing, so divine, demands everything I could ever give for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Demands my soul, my life, my all. You're going to start comparing kind of the earth and Jesus, really? And one more song we're going to sing in just a few moments. I'm not going to boast in riches. My pride's not in gold. Why? Because my full boast is in Jesus Christ and in his name alone because he is the one who holds everything. He is the gift of life. He is the source of living water. So loved ones, think about it. Think about it. What are you living for? Look here, look here. What are you living for? If we live for this, man, we just don't get it. We just don't get what Jesus just explained to his disciples. This makes it impossible. This is what we're trusting in. It's impossible to enter the kingdom of heaven. It takes childlike faith that sees this as a blessing to be used for the kingdom of God in the right place, in the right way, given with a generous heart and ultimately living for the only kingdom that will actually last. That's the opportunity for us today. Where is our heart before the Lord and where does our heart need to go oh Lord speak to your church seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you